0: Welcome to the
1: science of success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner.
2: Welcome to the science of success, the number one evidence based growth podcast on the internet with more than 4 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this interview, we discuss why creativity is the new literacy and how you can unlock your own creative genius to create the life you want to live. Most people, are completely wrong about what they think creativity is and how to be more creative. We dispel these myths about creative work and show you how to build your own creative muscle so that you can have innovative breakthroughs, find your calling, and live your dream life with our guest, Chase Jarvis. Are you a fan of the show and have you been enjoying the content that we put together for you? If you have, I would love it if you signed up for our email list. We have some amazing content on there along with a really great free course that we put a ton of time into called How to Create Time for What Matters Most in Your Life. If that sounds exciting and interesting, and you want a bunch of other free goodies and giveaways along with that, just go to successpodcast.com. You can sign up right on the homepage. That's successpodcast.com. Or if you're on your phone right now, all you have to do is text the word SMARTER That's S-M-A-R-T-E-R to the number 44222. In our previous episode, we discussed how our traditional education system has given us the wrong perspectives on how learning actually works. It's so easy to fall into the trap of looking for and waiting for the perfect step-by-step formula, but it's actually the ability to flexibly experiment that empowers you to be successful in learning and Really, anything in life. We share exactly how you can apply these lessons and much more with our previous guest, Scott Young. If you want to hack your learning and become an ultra learner, listen to our previous episode. Now, for our interview with Chase. Today, we have another awesome guest on the show, Chase Jarvis. Chase is a photographer, director, and social artist. He's the CEO of Creative Live and works with major brands like Nike, Pepsi, and many more. His personal and fine artwork has caught the attention of everyone from mainstream audiences to art critics across the globe. He's the author of the popular books, Seattle 100, The Best Camera is the One That's With You, and the upcoming Creative Calling. Chase, welcome to the Science of Success.
3: Hey, thanks a lot for having me on the show. Excited to be here.
2: Well, we're super excited to have you on the show today. I love the theme and the ideas around creative calling, and I can't wait to dig into this. You know, One of the ideas that you open up This conversation with that I think is is such an interesting concept is this notion, as you put it, that creativity is the new literacy. Tell me a little bit about that.
3: I think in order to understand that, let's look back at literacy, right? So literacy, there was a time when literacy or the the training of the ability to read and write was just reserved for clergy, for the wealthy and royalty, for example. And what they found after you know, years of that was like, wait a minute, this population is smarter. They're able to communicate. Their infant mortality is lower and longevity is longer. And (laughs) basically they got a bunch of good data to talk science terms that said how powerful literacy was. It It created things Ultimately, like science, because prior to then, you had no way of writing down your experiments and checking them and validating them. So, in short, it was a huge catapult for human culture. And the funny thing about it was that because it had been limited, there was like, okay, well, what's going to, how do we change this? You know, typesetting was very laborious. A book would take years to make, and there'd normally be one copy of them. So, because it was all handwritten. And then when typesetting and the Gutenberg Press came out, what happened? This was like the catapult for literacy. It made literacy infinitely more widespread. And the the benefits that I'd mentioned for that small population then were extended to so many people. And in a sense, prior to the Gutenberg Press was Like literally known as the Dark Ages, (laughs) and after was literally known as the Renaissance. Now, you can only connect these dots looking backwards. People weren't in the Renaissance calling it the Renaissance. But now that we have this perspective that we have on history and science, we can say, oh my gosh, look at the human flourishing that happened as literacy expanded across the globe. So when I say creativity is the new literacy, I think we're at a time right now, a cultural paradigm shift where – Creativity has historically been just associated with art, right? Creativity equals painting. And what we know to be true is creativity is everything. Look around. Everything you see has creativity in its manufacture and as its basis for being in the world. The chair you're sitting in, the shoes on your feet, the car, the plane you're flying in you know wherever you are in the world right now you're surrounded by human creativity and in fact if you look at the definition of creativity the one that i use in the book and one that's reasonably assumed in most circles is that just it's putting you know two things together that used to not go together to to form something new and useful and if you start to think of creativity in that broader sense sort of not creativity like art i call that small c creativity but creativity big c like the connecting of ideas to make new and useful things first of all that definition starts to go okay cool then there's a whole new set of people who can identify as creative and a fundamental principle that i believe in the, in in the book it's actually the, the, there are three ones it's pretty simple to follow it's a very simple logical argument number 1 is that there's creativity in every person if you can assume that definition that i just shared with you you just ask any first grade class right who wants to come to the front of the room and draw me a picture Every single hand goes up. That's our native state. We are creating machines, right? It's what separates us from all the other species on the planet. It's why we can make tools and create things like computer and space travel and and even just simple fundamental things. So step one is we're all creative. Step two, it just so happens that creativity is not some special skill that only a few people have. It's like a muscle. And the more you use it, the stronger it gets and the stronger it gets. The more connections and richness you're able to cultivate in your life and and bring to bear and then if you believe one that everyone's creative and you believe two that the more you use it the stronger it gets then three starts to be self-evident which is by creating in small ways every day whether it's a meal playing the guitar building a family putting a presentation together at work. All these are creative acts that in doing those on a regular basis and thinking of them as creative, what you start to do is develop this muscle that helps you understand that you have agency over your own life, that this is, you can create your, your life. So yes, you know, writing a song or making meals and thinking of them as creative literally helps you unlock the creativity that's possible for your life. So if you go back to your opening question, creativity is the new literacy. We're at a time where creativity is becoming recognized for the thing. It's basically starting to have its day in the sun. And this is not about moving to Paris. It's not about wearing a beret. It's not about painting. It is about identifying that this is a faculty that you have and that you can use it to cultivate the agency in your life to create the living and the life that you love for yourself.
2: So many great points, and I can't wait to dig into a number of these different ideas because there's so much value in in all the things that you just shared. But even this meta point, I think, is so important to, to just reiterate, which is this idea that in today's world, there's so much noise. There's so many things going on. There's so many new pieces of information. And at the same time, you have so many people who live in these silos where they only know about or focus on a few narrow things this ability to be a creative thinker is is in many ways in today's society almost like a superpower
3: it is it's if you i think somebody did a, a global survey of ceos and creativity was the number one most sought after characteristic not not 3 not 10 not like not 84 number 1 and it's because again we're starting to understand you know we've been sold this lie, basically. And there's no evil genius selling us this lie, but just it didn't fit for the last cultural paradigms of production and manufacture. And we didn't want creative people. We wanted people who were going to go to work at the factory. And now that we're in a completely different era, we're starting to understand that this creativity is, it literally is a superpower and it is something that we all possess. Part of our, you know, getting reorienting that thinking and the culture narratives around it are. You know, that's one of the reasons that I I had to do the book. I've had the book in my mind for a long time and been, you know, aggregating elements and pieces of it. But it it just, I had to put it out in the world because A, it was driving me crazy. And B, it's just, it's great timing for people to recognize that they can harness this power. and, And it's not about, you know, giving up anything in their life to get all of the benefits of creativity.
2: You make another great point a second ago about about CEOs as well, right? And you're obviously a successful entrepreneur. You know, it's funny to me the most important business skills and this is a belief that I fundamentally have and that's really what drives this entire podcast is that the most important skills to be successful in business are not things that they teach you in business school and in business textbooks. They're things like creativity.
3: Yeah. That's part of what I'm trying to like, you know, call BS on honestly is that Like, look, these cultural narratives that they feed you in business school or that are just like the idea of a starving artist and all, all these things that are tired cliches, like the more that you talk to people who have become successful, this pronounces itself. The more you realize that the people who've been giving you guidance all along, your parents, your spouse, your career counselor, your peer group, whatever, they're not trying to not make you be creative they are scared for you because they don't actually understand what is good for you. They don't actually, they don't have a lens, the same lens that you have for yourself, which is your intuition. And it's understandable. Like it it comes from a place of love. Like It's easy for us to see when we're, when we're looking at our child or someone we care deeply about doing something that we don't understand or we think is risky, we try and talk them out of it. But when we start to change the cultural narrative and you start to realize that, wait a minute, All the people I look up to, all the people that inspire me or that motivate me or what did they do? You start deconstructing the lives of those people. And I started doing this with my own life when I was like, when am I jazzed and energized? And it's like when I'm in tune with what I'm supposed to be doing in the world, when I'm truly living my my calling and listening to who I am, be unapologetically me. And then I felt this flow. I felt things start to happen for me, not to me. And just so happens, you know, when I looked at my life and the life of, You know, 150 or 200, the world's top performers that I've either had on my podcast or that are part of Creative Live. You know, a really simple pattern emerges that this is this is actually the dominant trait, and what we're living in is a culture that is telling us stories about what was required for the last era. That the school system, it's not really trying to be best for everybody. It's an average. Right. It's a factory. You put widgets in one end and you need to move them through, not because it's what's best for kids and not, not, not throwing stones at this as an evil thing. It's doing the best that it can. But the reality is it's not organized around maximizing what it's like for you, Matt. It's taking an average, the average number of people feel the average of this. And if we get people in average jobs with average lives and average salaries and average, like that's what it's trying to spit out. But most of the people that I know, they don't wanna be an average of everybody else's data. And I'm not advocating for that, I'm advocating just the opposite, that you should be 100% you, unapologetically. And for you, there is no average, because average requires a data set of more than one. But when you start to recognize that there is just one you, and that you know in your intuition, you felt it before, you've heard this call, what I call the calling, and then you've been on your path at a time where life felt effortless. And what was that like? It was amazing. And I'm here to say that that's available to you all the time. And in fact, the world's most successful people, what they're doing is they're tuning into that calling and they're listening to what's inside of them. And they're following a very simple paradigm that I, I lay out in the book, which is this is basically a four-step process. They're imagining what's possible, whether you're Richard Branson or you know, you're building businesses or nation states or, or a science experiment or anything. You're imagining what's possible. You're designing a system that can deliver you the results you imagine, whether it's a set of daily habits or an experiment plan or a workout regimen or anything. You're executing against that goal, and then you're spreading the results and helping other people understand what you were able to do or recognizing it yourself. So I, that's basically the framework of the book is four principles, idea, I-D-E-A, and I just deconstructed my own success and the successful people around me and was like, oh, man, everybody's doing this thing and none of it looks like what we're canceled to do.
2: Yeah, such a great point. And we talk a lot of, on this show about how our school system in many ways has has failed us and really hasn't set people up to be creative thinkers, to think outside the box, to be innovators, And you're right. It's not necessarily a malicious thing. It's really just a byproduct of the way we designed our educational system. It's, you know, it's a hundred years old and we have to take that agency into our own hands and start to cultivate these skill sets and these abilities ourselves.
3: Yeah. And it's it's basically like you said, there's no evil genius. It's trying to keep you down. Although that, you know, the best kept secrets, when people find them, they tend to hoard them, which is you know, something I think that the internet is changing, and that's why information is now moving faster than ever. And it's why you're seeing a lot of change in the world right now. We can't just throw rocks at the school system. We can't just throw rocks at our I mean, you could it'd be easy to throw rocks at the wait a minute, if you go to school and you get a good job or if, if you go to a good college, then you get a good job. and if you get a good job, you work forty years, you get the gold watch. Like that was the dominant paradigm for. 60 years, 90 years, you know, between the start of the industrial revolution to, to basically not all that long ago. But if you ask any scientist, if that's true, it's very clear that that's not the future. <laughs> it's like, that is certainly, and that's not to say that that's bad because there are lots of you know ways to have a rich existence in that similar paradigm. And there are jobs that are still built around that, but it's a fiction to think that it's good for everybody And that you, because you're part of everybody, should follow that path.
2: I want to come back to and unpack a couple of things you said earlier because I think they're really important. Tell me a little bit more about this idea that everybody innately has the ability to be creative.
3: Again, just go to any first grade classroom. Who wants to come up to the front of the room and draw me a picture? Every single hand goes up. The introverted kids, the extroverted kids... Because we are creative machines. It's allowed, like it's in the same way that we are programmed for language. We're programmed for creating. It's literally one of the key differentiators between us and all the other species. And when you start to acknowledge that, wait a minute, if I can expand the definition of creativity where I can unequivocally see myself in there versus being a cork in the tide, Versus being told what I am or what I'm not, or that. And this, you can of course, you can have different strengths. I, t- I go back to my second grade classroom, Miss Kelly. I loved in second grade. I loved performing for the class. I used to perform magic tricks. I did a comic book that I released every week, a comic strip rather, to the kids in my class. And I had a little stand up routine, a stand up joke routine that I used to do. And and then one day in my student teacher conference, I heard Miss Kelly tell my mom that. Chase is way better at sports than he is at art. And as a, a second grader, what do we do? Well, first of all, we're social animals. And then you you know layer in the second grade part, and it's like, it just becomes obvious that, oh, I just want to fit in, so I'm gonna do whatever the people around me tell me I'm good at or not good at, and we get labeled. And remember, in the previous sort of universe of education and learning and employment, it was very counterproductive to be, quote, creative right? Because that means you're going to challenge the status quo. You're going to ask, like, wait a minute, I don't learn like this. I'm a visual learner. I am a tactile learner. I am, you know, those different learning modalities. And just to be creative and to not just sit in your chair sit down and shut up and use a number two pencil, like it just wasn't good for the system. And it starts to be pretty easily discovered or uncovered rather that What's good for the system is not necessarily good for the individuals in the system. It's just easy because that's, <laughs> the, that's the way we do it around here. So, you know, sort of revisiting that same, the the cultural paradigms around work and around school, if you can start to harness this creativity, acknowledge that there is this creativity inside of you, and you start to put it used to use in small ways, this is not, again, this is not like it's a surprisingly simple ask that i'm you know proposing is just start creating small things on, on a daily basis you're already doing it just call it what it is and call it creativity and then when you start to see that it you start to see it once or twice then you can't unsee it you start to see it everywhere when you realize the chair you're sitting in was first a drawing in an artist's brain before it was ever engineered before it was ever built it was a drawing, it was a concept, it was a creative exercise that someone went through. And the same thing is true with literally everything around you. If you can start to look at that, it's a pretty it's not a leap. You no longer have to say, like, I'm not creative. I give an example of my mom. She was 65, had been, you know, believed her whole life that she wasn't wasn't all that creative, but she's like, I'm really Disciplined, and I'm focused, and I can get a lot of things done. More of a sort of a producer and a doer, and a little bit more left brain, say, and which is also not not true. But well, I won't go down that path. But you know, like so many people in our culture, they believe that they weren't because they were labeled something, or got a, a handshake, or a grade, or a high five, or something for doing one thing and not doing it early in life, and that helped shape their view of themselves and a narrative and a story that they told themselves. And it was useful because we do have different strengths. We have different learning modalities. So you lean into that. But what gets toxic is when you start believing that you're not creative, especially in this next era where we're where creativity is the new literacy, as we just talked about, can be really, really dangerous to not be able to invent and reinvent. And so if you go back to my mom, when she started, I gave her a, an iPhone and, and I had developed an iPhone app in 2009 that went on to be the app of the year. And I put that. That app on her phone and she started taking pictures. No, she didn't have to like get a bunch of oil paints or move to Paris or anything. She just started taking pictures on her morning walk. And she went in a matter of weeks, not days, but not months, weeks, saw herself as creative and realized, oh my God. I'm like, these are great pictures. And she started sharing them with her friends, getting amazing feedback. I watched it change how she cooked, I watched it change where she wanted to travel, how she dressed or the way she moved day to day through the world. And not everyone is gonna have this pronounced effect. But for those of you who believe that you're not creative because you're identifying creativity with your ability to draw, I am a terrible drawer, but I'm a world-class creator. It's just we gotta find the thing that we're supposed to be doing. And if you can understand that in doing small things that are creative, that you get to then use your creativity to create your life. It's just creativity at, at a larger scale. Same muscles, different output, different outcome. It starts to get really exciting.
2: That's such a great point. This this notion that just because you don't paint or create music or whatever doesn't mean you're not creative. And there are so many avenues, whether it's business or... or coding, or, yeah, coding. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's a perfect example. All these things that seem very analytical are really incredible opportunities to to be creative.
3: You know, one person is writing code. Are they putting new ideas together to form something new and useful? And again, this definition that I'm putting around creativity is not claiming something radical. It's really just an undoing, a simple undoing of a cultural narrative that became like, oh, starving artist, you know, all these things toxic beliefs i'm just undoing those things even just for a moment to be able to shine a light on what it really is and then when you start to look at everything around you everything no no exceptions was designed and created by someone probably no smarter than you it starts to get interesting
2: so i want to talk a little bit more about some of the you know i love the analogy you used earlier that creativity is like a muscle and the more you practice the better you get you know, one of the big breakthroughs that I had in my life a couple of years ago is I was feeling stuck in my business and, and feeling like I couldn't do anything and that nothing was working. And I started to realize that I needed to hone my own creative muscle and built a daily creative routine that I try to do three to four times a week to just jumpstart my creativity. But I'm curious, what are some of those things that people can do to start to build that muscle every day?
3: Well, I think you would be able to answer this as well as I could. So I'd love to hear what you went on to do, but you know, I'll go first. It really is just a simple daily habit. Like the example that I gave my mom or writing like whatever, you know, you can often look backwards and like what inspired you as a kid was it drawing, was it painting, was it playing music? Did you give up the guitar because you know, that bully told you, you sucked and now the guitar is in a closet, dust that thing off and just strum a few bars. You're going to suck, but it's really the practice of practicing that begins to unlock all these things. So in the book, I talk you know, very, very crisply about a set of things that stimulate your creativity. And it's no surprises here. It's a lot about taking care of yourself. words matter. Like when you say that I'm not creative, you really need to start undoing that. You're saying like, I'm not very good at drawing. That's fine. But you're not not creative. Wait, yeah, yeah you're not not creative. So to me, this, this daily practice, even if it's five minutes of writing in the morning before you move on to your day, or as as the example I gave with my mom, just taking pictures at, at lunchtime, it's usually a few things in your past that you can look back on and say, you know what? I got a lot of joy when I did that and just start to pursue your, your curiosity as much as anything. and. Lo and behold, I mean, again, we've already given the example of writing code or there's a million ways to practice this in small, lightweight ways. And I'm really just juxtaposing this with this, again, this tired cultural narrative that you need to move to Paris, you need to change your lifestyle, you have to downgrade X or Y, you have to get a beret, have a new set of creative artsy friends, like none of that's true. You just have to start creating. And even if you like, you're going to make dinner tonight, why not use a different ingredient? Why not drive home a slightly different way than you used to drive home? Why not just infuse a couple of twists in something that you're already doing to create maybe a slightly different outcome and then repeat and you start to do that and you start to realize again this agency that I'm that's the sort of the, the macro deal here is is of course it's fun to to draw and paint and write code and you know, cook and a lot of these things, but the real unlock is that, and you start to see how simple activities like that can awaken the fact that, wait a minute, I don't have to be in this job. I don't need these people around me that are toxic. I can do anything I want. And the fact that the people that I admire, that I respect, that I want to be around more, this is how they're doing it. They, their lives didn't just happen. No, they had a vision for this. They imagined it. They designed a path to get there. They executed on that vision. And now you know about it because they're very happy to share their successes and failures and tell a story so the rest of us can get on board with, wait a minute, this is available to me right now. It doesn't happen overnight. Like it wasn't overnight for my mom, but it also doesn't have to take 20 years. In small daily ways, you start to realize you have agency over your life in the biggest way possible.
2: And for me, it was such a simple exercise. I would basically keep a list of... And this is a great example of how some it can be something that's completely non-artistic in a traditional sense. I would basically keep a list of business problems or challenges I was facing. They could even be things in my personal life. And when I get up in the morning, I'll just put one of those problems there and try to brainstorm... 10 ideas to solve it. And, and I don't care how bad those ideas are. And over time, you start to really refine that and get so much better at creating all kinds of novel and interesting breakthroughs that you would never have thought of before.
3: So true. And that's a great example. And it's, that's the part that, that I mentioned when you do it a little bit, it, it's like Maya Angelou has a great quote, creativity is an infinite resource. The more you use, the more you get. I mean, I'm paraphrasing that a little bit. There's, she probably said it prettier, <laughs> but, but it's, you know, it, it. When you start to look at it as a muscle, you know, it's not, it's, it's a habit, not a skill. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of operating. In the same way that you just sort of pointed out, that oh my gosh, and then when you have a breakthrough, you realize that the only reason I had that breakthrough was because I told myself I was going to wake up in the morning and write down ten ideas. It's the process, right? It's not because you. We're struck by lightning, but then a funny thing happens. You start doing this process every morning, and you know it starts happening. More lightning. (laughs) So, and and that's to me, it's sort of like working out, right? First couple times you work out, how do you feel afterwards? You feel horrible. You're sore, hurts. You felt awkward when you were doing it. That's the same way it's going to feel the first couple times you, you know, if you haven't thought of yourself as creative, but do it for ten days in a row, just like the gym, right? If you can get through that tenth day, what's the, the New Year's resolution concept? It's like ninety percent of people quit after eight and a half days or something like that. Like just allow yourself, as you clearly did, to like express yourself. And at first, it's going to feel stupid. And then I'll turn to a quote from a Anne Lamott, who wrote a book called Bird by Bird. Bird by Bird, which is, I only get good writing because I write shitty first drafts. Shitty first drafts. That's the path. And if you can write a shitty first draft, as we all can, but the second draft is going to be a little bit better. Next draft is going to be a little bit better. And voila, you start to you know both uncork this superpower that you have. And you also can look backwards and say, wow, I'm getting better.
2: It's funny. Dean Simonton, who's a psychology researcher who's done a lot of work on creativity and, and a lot of his research was popularized by Adam Grant talks about the eminent creators, people like Mozart and Einstein and all, you know, across various different disciplines. And the single biggest thing that differentiated them was not the quality of their compositions. It was just the quantity. And the, you know, the Mozarts of the world would have 500, 600, 800 compositions where the average composer would have like, well, the, the I think the, the actual, the mode was one composition, but then the average was like four or something. And so it's the same thing, right? You have to start with these shitty first drafts. You have to be willing to just produce bad ideas, put yourself out there to be okay with that. And that's how you start to really flex that muscle and build that skill.
3: Yeah. And believe it or not, this is like, you can approach this reasonably scientifically, reasonably from a process, right? Just you're, you're putting work out every day. You're sitting down for five minutes to write. You're sitting down. You're taking a few photographs when you walk. You're cooking a special meal every week. You're like, it's, it's very simple to start to employ this. And the results are, they kind of catch you a little bit by surprise. And, and if you think of it in terms of the volume, you know, there's a, an apocryphal story that about a, a ceramics teacher that did a, all right, half the class is graded on volume, not quality volume like literally the number of pieces that you create and the other half of the class you have one chance to make a masterpiece your entire grade is on one pot and you know as the legend goes you know where this is going to end up right like not only did the group that was graded by volume not only did they create you know whatever 20 times more work but that work was better And of course, right now you're going like, okay, great. Yeah, yeah, I get it. But why don't we apply that to all this stuff that I'm talking about? We look at our first, you know, halting attempt at figure drawing or writing a poem or that short story or like, and we go, oh my God, I'm terrible. But think if we applied that to other areas of our life, like walking. Okay. If you're an able-bodied child and you're walking at what point you fall down your 26th time, and your parents go, Yeah, yeah, just guess she's not a walker. It just doesn't happen. It's absurd, right? And to me, you know, this book and this philosophy is very much the same. It's like, I'm not asking you to be a world class sprinter, but I know you can walk. You're an able bodied child. And if we apply that to other areas like cooking a meal, building a business, solving some of these business problems, for example, as you did, it starts to get cool and you start to get a little confidence. I'm not You don't need to trade in your set of friends, but you do need to acknowledge that you have this superpower and that the superpower is, is capable of some pretty impressive things because it's the foundation roughly of everything. I could be couching this material in personal development or self-help or even science I just chose it to, to couch it in creativity because I look at the current paradigm of creativity as sort of so far from accurate and just toxic, honestly, that let's reframe the narrative and understand it for what it really is and empower you know the largest possible population to take advantage of this this gift that we have, this you know, this ability to create. And at the end of the day, go back to my second grade teacher who told me I wasn't very good at art. It was only through, you know, some real serious tragedy in my life that I I'll just say someone very close to me and I died and I was given their cameras that I ended up getting back into my sort of tapping into that creative part of me that I'd given up, largely given up as a second grader. It just so happens that these, you know, big traumatic moments in our life, you know, the death of someone close to us or or it could be positive, like the birth of a child. They cause us to reflect and whatnot so they can be useful. and, And those moments were useful for me. But I would love it for us to not have to go through that trauma, not have to have a big life moment to look at this, like, what are we doing with our lives? And just recognize that this is a muscle, that we're all creative, this is a muscle, and if I use this muscle, then I, I start to unlock potential.
1: After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows.
2: Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. There's so much untapped creativity in the world. There's so much untapped potential in the world, and I think in many ways that's what we're both trying to do with our various projects and this podcast and the book and everything you've done is is to help everybody realize that you have this amazing potential within yourself,
3: and it's all about unleashing it. Mm-hmm. You've nailed it. Like it's not really complicated, and it's you know funny. I I go back to just having to get this idea. you know, I'm not a fast writer. I've done a couple of books. They're largely photo books, but I knew this had to be a book just because of the, the depth of the idea. And it's also, it's a great vehicle, a little bit of a Trojan horse for getting into pop culture and getting to, to put your ideas in a way that's, that was regularly, people regularly consume these ideas. You talked about Adam Grant and others, and it's like, gosh, this is so simple but it really is so powerful and i'm seeing it be put to work everywhere this is it's it's ultimately not radical it's very timely but it's not radical all the people that you respect and look up to that have carved their own path and you know done cool things and you're like wow if i could just whatever this is all they're doing they're finding that voice that we all have inside of us and this is you know the metaphor i use in the book is the calling it's not some calling to necessarily like i'm going to be an astronaut but it's like, I'm more inclined to this than that. And despite my aunt or my brother, cousin, whatever, wanting me to do the other thing, I'm going to listen to my gut. And you start pulling on this thread, or as I the other metaphor is walking on this path, again, you start to realize that, that these, even if I go two steps forward and one step back, nothing is wasted. All of these things you start to feel in your own You know, you start to settle into who you really are and the ability to unapologetically be you is just a very powerful vehicle. And there are people out there right now like, oh man, sounds nice, but I got a mortgage and, you know, I'm behind on two car payments and I got two kids and I got, awesome. I'm not asking that you put yourself in a position where you can't continue to provide in the way you have. I'm just asking you to carve out Not even necessarily time, because in the example that I gave with my mom, this was on her daily walk that she started taking pictures, but really carve out both language to talk to yourself, a mindset and a belief and a practice doesn't have to be life changing. You don't have to, you know, (laughs) put all your chips in and take out a second mortgage on the house to start this business. But in doing these small things, you'll realize the power that I'm talking about. It's not radical at all. It's pretty simple.
2: And that dovetails with something you touched on earlier, which I thought was really powerful and insightful, which is this notion of being unapologetically yourself and not trying to be the next Chase Jarvis or the next so-and-so, but being the first you.
3: Mm -hmm. And why is that surprising, right? Of course, it's not surprising at all, but when our culture looks at folks, they You know, Bill Gates, just taking them out of the blue, didn't go to school or dropped out of school to do Microsoft. Your parents, if you're going to tell your parents you're dropping out of Harvard, are they going to go, sweet, go for it? Bill Gates did it. No. If you're Sarah Blakely and you're like, look, they've rejected the ideas for Spanx so many times. Why are you still continuing to make these undergarments? Like, that's normally what you're going to hear. But, you know, she continued to press on and And when we continue to see this paradigm, people just want you to be safe. they want you to be more like them, they want you to be an average because they know it's predictable and when you say you're going to go make your first film or you're going to drop out of college to pursue career a career in film in the blank, it sets people's sort of spidey sense off because either sometimes they couldn't do it and they were shown a particular path that they know, and that's how they're trying to st- You doesn't come from a bad place, but it's, again, it's, it's not a radical idea, especially if you look around for evidence. And again, the idea that you have to bet it all in black to be the next, you know, entrepreneur that you only, you can be when you start studying entrepreneurship, like the science of it, (laughs) because it is, you know, it's alchemy, right? Part science, part art. And you realize people like Richard Branson, oh, he was actually protecting the downside. He didn't bet at all on Black. He bought the first seven forty-seven that he bought used from Boeing. He pre negotiated the ability to sell it back to them. So he wasn't betting a hundred million on a new airplane. He was I'm just making these numbers up. He bet ninety million, or sorry, he bet ten million because he had a pre negotiated sale. It was only gonna cost him ten million. And if you're saying, Yeah, but who's got ten million? Like you're not Richard Branson, that's fine. But it's like there are these dominant myths and paradigms that are in our culture, and I'm trying to both debunk them, make a very simple point, and get you to start to – like you can start today. That's the number one thing that I'm like trying to get people out of is that this is going to happen later or tomorrow or (laughs) sometime in the future. Now, for the people that know that they're creative and they might just not double down on it, then great. You already know what I'm talking about. Great. For the people who are like, ooh, this is new. Like I, I'm going to lean into that. And for the people who are still don't understand, look, I get it. It's going to take some undoing, but just start to look around the number of people that have a side hustle. 50 million Americans are going to have a side hustle by 2020. That's like half of the working population of our country. This is not a weird, weird thing. This is mainstream. And if you're building a business on the side, that's wildly creative. So you start to see these things coming out of the shadows, it starts to make more sense to you. And that's fine. Sometimes we need social proof. It's just you got to kill the narrative that it's risky and that you you need to be a second rate Richard Branson instead of being a first rate you. Like you have this stuff in you. You were talked out of it. I'm just saying go back to the source. It's all in there.
2: The funny thing about that is if you come all the way back to this whole, in a very meta way, everything we've been talking about, the excuses, the things you're telling yourself now, you know, somebody who's listening that you can't do it or you, you know, you don't have the time, you don't have the resources, whatever. The solution to all of those things is creativity.
3: Yeah. And that's like, again, you could couch this in science or human like productivity or potential or whatever. To me, those are all like actually layers that are on top of creativity. When you just boil it down to its most basics, it is we're creating machines. We do it all the time. Let's just acknowledge that. You can put your own polish on it, your own spin, put it in your own words or your own way, but just don't say you're not creative because that's like saying I'm only one third human. (laughs) <laughs> it's just not true and if we can get ourselves like I, I talk a lot in the book about the creative mindset and it assumes that you believe that you can change the outcome of your day-to-day that if you change your behavior you can create a different outcome than the one you're getting right now and that's also again pretty fundamental assumption if you don't believe that like I'm not quite sure what you know what you're doing but if you start to realize that you are the quality of your thoughts if you're not programming your brain to be able to have the thoughts that you want and to pursue the life that you want, what have you got? You don't got all that much. You start to acknowledge that you're the sum of your thoughts. You start to realize, and I get it. I know where the, all these impulses come from to root it in science. We are, we're tr- struggling to overcome our biology, right? We have, a say, a million-year-old organ in our skull called our brain, and I call it the brain. It's not your brain. It's not your mind, it's the mind. It's an organ and its job is to keep you alive, not happy. And it's confused because for the past, you know, 999,900 years, it's or whatever, whenever saber toothed tigers were extinct, say, it was scanning the horizon and danger was the saber toothed tiger. And now what it looks like for danger is (gasps) risky business venture or. Likes on Instagram, or if I publish this, I'm going to get laughed at. Like That's not real fear. you know. So you start to do a little, what Tim Ferriss calls fearscaping, and you say, what's the worst that could happen? And things get pretty silly pretty fast, and you realize as you're in this paradigm, mostly because that's what's culturally acceptable, has very little to do with what you're actually possible or the real downside, most of which is actually controllable. When you start to look at it through that lens, you're like, okay, I got this, and that's what the book's trying to do.
2: So for listeners who want to concretely implement some of the things we've talked about today and start to step into having a creative mindset, what would be one action item or piece of homework that you would give them to begin this journey?
3: What's something that you can make a habit for 10 days that you acknowledge that meets your definition of creativity? I would like it if it was mine, but let's just give you yours. What's something you can do? Just you know, write ten lines of a story or a journal that orients you like morning pages or whatever, or add some new ingredients to the meal that you've prepared the same way for over and and think of it as a creative act when you pull your phone out to take a picture of your kid, think of it as a creative act, and then do another one tomorrow. Take ten pictures, ten days in a row of your kid and think of it as a creative act that will just awaken this part of you that wait a minute, this is a, this small shift is actually starting to create a different mindset for me. So that's the way to start, you know, and again, the the, the book will chronicle how to accelerate those things. And I like to talk about community and sharing some of these experiences because it, because as I've said several times, we're social animals. So there's some good reinforcement there And stop judging your work. Andy Warhol's got a great quote, like, make art, and then everybody else is judging your art, make more. (laughs) It's like, because it doesn't really matter. What you're trying to do is awaken and strengthen that muscle. So the tactic is start. And and I'll say one other thing is that we've all got something in there, in our past, or maybe it's even right there on the tip of your tongue, or at the top of your heart, or whatever that you're not doing that you want to do. Maybe it's transitioning to a new job. Maybe it's starting at a restaurant. Maybe it's trying to teach your kid how to backcountry camp. I don't know what the thing is. But probably what's happening is you're seeing the full realized version of that path. And the thing that I'm talking about, it is not a map. Because the map, what happens with the map? You look at where you, you are here and then you get the big dotted line that goes around the mountain, blah, blah, blah. And then it ends up you know, this is the big red X is where you want to go. None of the things in life that you look up to the other people who've done them have a map. What it's way more of is is a compass and a compass just shows you a direction, right? And what's required is that you start walking that direction. If you, you bump into something, you go around it. So it's not about today. How do I build the restaurant? Sure. That may be the eventual outcome, but how do I start you know, cooking different, interesting meals. How do I throw a dinner party? And instead of just cooking for my family, invite 10 people over. What does it feel like to cook? What does it feel like to cook with a little bit of pressure? And can I make it joyful? Like it's way more a compass than a map. And again, it's just start. Don't have to have the full realized vision. You'll get some information along the way that you might find, well, I guarantee you're gonna find it interesting and helpful.
2: Love the analogy of the compass and the map, and also the the notion of just starting to notice small creative acts in your life that you may not even realize you're already exhibiting creativity and starting to shift your identity being somebody who's more creative.
3: Yep. It's a good way to start. <laughs> of course, the book lays out more, but you don't need that much more to get started. Like, you know, this is, there's, that's at the end of the day, there's no sort of hokey like, pie in this guy. I'm not. I'm not trying to sell you three steps to a richer future or whatever. It's just like, look at this. Is look backwards in our biology. Look like at the people. Look left and right. Dissect the things in your life where you felt like you've been on a path. You heard. You have heard your calling. Whether you called it creative or you called it whatever. You know, and you felt good, and you're around people that you love doing something that you love, and it felt good. You felt in that sort of flow state. That's all I'm asking for you to do. Do you want more of that? you should because it's good stuff <laughs> it's, it's powerful medicine it is the fuel to get you where you want to go
2: and chase where can listeners find you the book and your work online
3: oh gosh i'm just at chase jarvis on the internet everywhere c h a s e j a r v i s i'm also really excited about creative live which is an online learning platform for people who identify as creator or entrepreneur and these kinds of ideas and there's you know tens of millions of people on that platform Creative Calling is the website for the book. And if you pre order the book, there's a couple of really cool things. There's a a class that is normally a hundred bucks that you get for zero at Creative Live. That's again at creativecalling.com. But, and and you can get the book just anywhere, (laughs) anywhere books are sold, all the the online retailers and whatnot. And I'd love to, if you have any feedback, shoot it to me online. My ears are open and uh, I'd be excited to find out what your experience is. Again, it just some of these very, very simple fundamental steps.
2: Well, Chase, thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing all this wisdom and knowledge with the listeners. It's been a fascinating conversation.
3: Thank you so much for having me on the show. Big fan. And I know we've been talking for a while, you know, been internet friends for a while. I just want to say thanks. And I'm super excited about this book and hope to see some people get some real value. Thanks for having me on the show, man. It means a lot.
2: Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email.